You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? So I'm going to start like I do most years. I'm just going to list the Best Picture nominees. Uh, Alphabetically, they are Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, The Father, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I think uh, we maybe want to go with like the standard, what's your pick and what's your prediction kind of split? Like, Aaron, which of these is your favorite, but which would you bet on if they're different? Yeah, I mean, it's another year where I I like all the movies. Uh, I think all eight of them are pretty good. Um, I mean, The Trial of Chicago 7 is probably my least favorite which is saying a lot because it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm, so, I mean, as far as a rooting interest, I mean, I really don't care which of them win because I, I like all of them. But uh, the one that surprised me the most was The Father. Uh, I didn't know really what to – I kind of expected that to be – I don't know what I was expecting, but it, it's it's just really well done. And, and I don't think it's going to win, but I, I kind of like it to win just because it's an unusual pick. Um, boy, are those – I guess I think No Man Land probably has. I mean, it's hard. So it's been such a weird year, obviously, including in the award circuit. So that's hard to. There's not as much momentum for these things as there usually is. But I guess No Man Land has kind of the most momentum, and it won the Producers Guild Award. So I mean, if I had to predict, I'd say that's probably going to win, which is fine with me. It's a good movie. Um, probably Judas and the Black Messiah might be my favorite. That and The Father are probably my two favorites that I suspect I'll be watching the most over the coming years. Yeah, The Father's one of just two that I haven't seen, and I don't know if this describes why you were surprised, but as someone who hasn't seen it yet, it looks standard. It looks like one of those acting showcases, right? A very heavy subject matter, a lot of drama. And I feel like I've seen versions of that movie every year, and they're usually pretty good, but I feel like there's they don't usually surprise me anymore, and that's what I assumed I was going to get seeing The Father, but it sounds like you're saying there's a little more to it uh, than maybe uh, is, is evident. Yeah, well, even the... Uh... The the one from a handful of years ago that uh, Julianne Moore won the Oscar for for Best Actress, yeah, still Alice was that one. You know, even that, I think most movies that have dealt with, or at least kind of more mainstream movies that have dealt with Alzheimer's and dementia, do it from kind of an objective point of view. And this one is very subjective, very much gets you in the mindset of the Anthony Hopkins, what he's what he's dealing with, and what I, I imagine most dementia. Patients have to deal with at some point and, and discerning reality, but not in a. It's not really a gimmicky way. It's it's really a, a very emotional look at what that is. But it's from his perspective, so it's you don't really get you uh, you are as, you're as confused as he is on what's real and what's not and what's uh, what's happening and where he is and where he isn't at any one time, just as he is. And it, it's it's very effective and very very well crafted and. Anthony Hopkins is just amazing. I mean, he's he's won 
before for uh, Silence of the Lambs, which is it's great. I mean, that's the one he's going to be remembered for, you know, <laughs> hundred years now. But I mean, he's he's real. It's like a really amazing bit of work in this. How about you, Mark? Favorite film? One you'd bet on? Uh, if there's any split between the two, I know you. We talked the other day, and you alluded to the father being one of your two favorites. I think. Probably my favorite is Holden's least favorite, but he went, they're all close. Trial of Chicago 7 would be the favorite. Father would be the second favorite. Uh, Nomadland's going to win, I think. As far as the father, I mean, I was crying all over the place, <laughs> especially at the end. Yeah, as, as, uh, yeah I, I recommend I know it's, it's expensive to buy online right now, but <laughs> if you don't want to buy it before the Oscars come out, I understand. But uh, for those who, who want to catch a really good movie, you know, when it becomes a little more moderately priced, you know, a month or two down the line, it's, it's really, really well done. And, yeah, that, that ending is just devastating, just, and Hopkins just nails it. It's really, really well done. I, uh, I definitely like Trial of Chicago 7 quite a bit. Uh, I'm a big Sorkin head anyway, so I was always going to like it. But um, I, I, I particularly like it when a film takes something that uh, suited to what it's trying to do and makes it work anyway, kind of like maybe The Social Network, right, taking a criminal deposition and making it feel like a thriller. I feel like there's a little bit of element of that. It's a courtroom drama, but it doesn't really feel like one very often. And, you know, more to the point, it's like all these films just about – very zeitgeisty. This is a very zeitgeisty field, for obvious reasons here. You've got, uh, obviously, uh, the Asian-American um, aspect. You've got Nomadland, which, you know, there's, speaks to the economic crisis, even though this is kind of set during the during the 2008 crisis. Obviously, there's some echoes of that there. Promising Young Woman, Me Too, certainly. Judas and the Black Messiah, obviously. Race relations, uh, riots, which ties into the trial of the Chicago 7 and the ethics of riots, and just public gatherings in general, for that matter. And I feel like the Oscars normally have to kind of make this choice. They worry about timelessness because that's kind of their whole thing, and we've seen that manifest really badly in years past with, again, the social network. Maybe they were worried that was going to feel dated because of Facebook, so they go with something timeless, like the King's Speech, which looked like a bad decision at the time and looks even worse now. Uh, but I, I feel like Nomadland kind of has it both ways in that it tells kind of a timeless story, uh, even though it's very much about a particular time period. Nomadland uh, is be- very beautiful to look at. It's very well acted. I kept waiting like, like something was supposed to happen and it kind of never happened. But it was an enjoyable watch anyway. Mark, I don't know if you can think of one, but I mean, if it were to win, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, by far the closest thing to cinema verite that's ever won. Usually the, the kinds of things that win best picture are more glossy, more, more, you know, finished. And it's a very humanistic film, but even the ones, the humanistic films that have won before, like Midnight Cowboy and Moonlight uh, are very, you know, those are very stylized movies and Nomadland, although it's got some, you know, pretty cinematography is very much cinema verite, not only just in its style and it, not much happens kind of plot wise. Um, but the fact that besides Francis McDormand and David Strathairn, most of those actors are not professional actors. They're either the people who are really doing those jobs or, uh, that really live that lifestyle. And, and so it's, it's got, that's, I think the one thing that might have against it. I mean, it's definitely unique that way, but that it's not very, you know, they, they tend to like polish things, even something like, yeah, it's definitely not slick. polished, superficial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't think of another movie that's that kind of style that's even come close to being in the best picture conversation. Um, so it'd be an interesting win. It definitely would make it a unique movie from that standpoint, just from a filmmaking point of view. Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, forget Nomadland. Just say Francis McDormand. 
because it's it's her. Like she's one of the producers. I I understand she basically pushed the project forward, saw one of Chloe Zhao's films, and approached her about uh, adapting the nonfiction novel it's based on. I mean, it's just it's her project, kind of through and through. Yeah, and obviously she carries it too. It's it's just Frances McDormand the movie, and it it really works because she's an unbelievable actress um, who just you could tell just throws herself into these roles, and you kind of have to, right? Like this is not this is not a movie star role. This is not a role where you go to get famous or or even look pretty or anything. Like you just have to you have to be this this person, this abject situation who's just unhappy, totally lacking pretension. You just have to totally give yourself over to it, and in typical Frances McDormand fashion, she totally does. And in betting terms, uh, uh, Nomadland did win the Producers Guild Award, which is a kind of correlator for Best Picture Award. Um, it's not a perfect predictor. It's not, you know, DGA. It's not one of those, but it's, it's uh, they've given out 30 of these so far. Uh, 1989 was the first season they did it, and it's matched uh, 20 out of 30 times, which is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but but seven of the ten misses have come in the 21st century, including three of the last five they've got wrong. Including last year they had 1917 over Parasite, and then a few years before that they had La La Land over Moonlight and Big Short over Spotlight. So they're not infallible, but it is the one that the Producers Guild honored. Not only not infallible, but I think those recent misses correlate a little bit with the changes in the voting, too, that we've discussed the last few years running, where they go to the instant runoff instead of just a straight vote. Yeah, but even before that, I mean, going back to, um, uh, they had Moulin Rouge as a winner, they picked Aviator, Brokeback Mountain, and those were before the runoffs. I mean, they, they, they're not infallible at all. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it could correlate with that. It's just... It, it's a definitely a, a different voting body, but um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, either it, they kind of get back on track. They had a, a stretch in the um, mid two thousands where it they did not correlate three years in a row. So maybe it's going to get back on track, or maybe it's just going to be one of those things where it's not really predictor anymore, and now it's just more of a, a free form thing where it might correlate and often doesn't. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Judas and the Black Messiah, because you mentioned that was your personal favorite, and it's a very powerful, very well-made film. Um, Daniel uh, Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield uh, both uh, reuniting after Get Out, and here they were both nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And while I was watching it, I just turned to my wife and said, oh, Daniel Kaluuya is going to probably win an Oscar for this. Um, just like right away, like he's just so inhabiting the character. It's absolutely ridiculous. And we've already joked on the forums about how with both of these characters listed as supporting actor, there apparently is no lead in this film unless you want to say Jesse Plemons counts, and I don't think that really makes sense. So there's definitely some chicanery going on here. Uh, but you want to talk a little bit about, you know, maybe the history of, uh, multiple, uh, of multiple nominations for one film in one category or just why you like the film so much? I really like the film just, uh, I mean, obviously it covers some of the same time period as, as Trial of Chicago 7, but it's, um, for one thing, um, movies about Black Panthers and and the Black Resistance tend to be either <laughs> they tend to be either really preachy or I mean, just the, the tone of this was so interesting that it didn't it it kind of took their side but not in a it was it was just an interesting way. it, it didn't look away describe. from the apparently necessary ugliness of the position they were the protagonists but they weren't just righteous good guys either they were human beings right it didn't it, it's not just oh they they fed the poor and oh they also had a couple a couple guns in the in the attic i mean they it, it kind of shows them for what they were but i think it's a very honest and inspiring <laughs> portrayal really and and to see the, you know a lot of people know about the assassination that the that, ultimately happened but to see kind of the build-up to it and and that they had the mole in there and and his 
ultimate fate. I just I thought it was really well done, and uh, yeah, it just had me from from the very beginning. Yeah, well, speaking of had you from the very beginning, the first time I ever saw Lakeith Stanfield was in Get Out, and right away I was just. I mean, struck by him. Like, he stands out. Something about his eyes. It's a, I've been trying to figure it out. And you probably can't because it's a very emotional reaction. But something about his eyes has always gotten me. And if you told me nothing else about this movie other than Lakeith Stanfield is going to look guilty with his eyes, I would have been totally sold because he is absolutely magnetic and, and, and heartbreaking in this role. Yeah, and Best Supporting Actor might be the one that I really... I don't know how to pick that one. I mean, usually, you know, there you can kind of guess where it's going to go, and I, I really don't know where that one's going to go. I could see the two of them splitting. I mean, co-stars don't always split the vote. I mean, just uh, a couple years ago, for three billboards, you know, Woody was by Sam Rockwell. So, I mean, they, they co-stars can can win when they're both in the same category, and they cancel each other out, out each other out seemingly about as often. Yeah, I don't know how to call that one. I could see them giving it to Sasha Baron Cohen, not just for his work there in the Trial of Chicago 7, which is, he does really good. Abby Hoffman is really the, the center of that movie in a lot of ways, but just for his you know career and how gutsy he is and how his politics line up with a lot of their politics and just kind of almost as a career achievement for being Sasha Baron Cohen at this point. Um, but. I, I don't. I don't know how that one's going to go. Well, specifically, you know, someone's nailed the historical figure when they when the film is very happy to show you actual footage of the character they're playing because they know it's going to line up really well with what you've just seen. Uh, whereas if the performance is maybe more of a spiritual performance rather than a, a real impersonation, maybe they would shy away from that kind of thing. But you're right; he sounds just like Hoffman. I could see them all. They all deserve a nomination. The thing is, there's not enough nominees because Mark Rylance deserves a nomination. Yeah. I thought he was incredible. No, I agree. I would have put him over Cohen personally, uh, and that's not any slight on Cohen. I just thought they were both tremendous performances. I, I, but I just love Mark Rylance. Again, I, I'm a sucker for the eyes. And uh, Paul Racy, interesting. I think this is the tenth uh, performance that's been uh, primarily sign language that's been nominated, and I think a few of them have won, including the only one who's actually been deaf. Who's who's won? Of course, is Marley Matlin. But uh, going back to you know Alan Arkin and. Uh, Part of the Lonely Hunter? Yeah, Part of the Lonely Hunter. There's been lots of sign language performances over the years, and uh, going back to a Miracle Worker, Patty Duke won, and he is not actually deaf, although you, if you'd never seen him in a movie, you could believe that he's so good, but he's actually, uh, both of his parents were deaf, so he grew up signing, so it's very natural to him, and it seems very lived in, and he's, he's very good. It would be a very unlikely win, but... Uh, yeah, it's not as unusual as you might think for a sign language performance to, to be nominated. Yeah, my wife was looking into this movie afterwards and said apparently the story goes that uh, you know he sent it an audition tape and they called him and he realized he was going to be paid so little that he was making more from his day job as an interpreter and they had to offer him more to convince him to take the role that we can now pretty confidently say he's going to be most remembered for. And, and you're right, he's tremendous. And Sound of Metal is probably the most surprising movie to me, happily surprising movie to me, that it got so many nominations, including Best Picture, it was a really strong movie, but I thought even in a, a year without as many releases, I thought, well, that, that's a great movie, but it's probably going to get lost in the shuffle there and not make it. And then to have so many big nominations, like that's that, good, for, good for that movie. I'm, I hope lots of people, because most people have Amazon in some form or another anyway. So I hope most people are checking, more people are checking that out if they didn't check it out earlier last year. It's really good. And obviously sound a huge part of that film or, or lack of sound sometimes. And 
just personally, I thought it was really cool to see sound explored in cinema in a way that wasn't the obvious way. It wasn't like a war film or an action film or a lot of complicated sound mixing. It was more about what you didn't hear and what you were allowed to hear. And, and kind of like the father, uh, using the medium to sort of put you in the shoes of the person that you're supposed to be identifying with. And you just don't see that, right? Like the kind of understated use of sound. It's a very good movie. I don't think it's going to win, you know, best picture or anything, but or anything, probably the maybe. least. At least likely of those of those eight movies. Oh, today. it'll win sound. You think it'll win sound? Sound of uh, metal wins sound, and uh, it's got to win sound because it apparently made the Academy uh, get rid of one of the sound categories. You you went exactly <laughs> where I was about to go with that, Mark. Every <laughs> year we end up talking about sound, and I always ask you to recount the history of the award. It used to be called Best Sound, and then they split it into editing and mixing, right? Yeah, they did. I whatever they want to do. I mean, don't ask me. Yeah, and now we have the reunification of the sound categories, uh, which so often had four or five of the same nominees every year. Anyway, nobody watching, you know, anyone who isn't in the guild maybe had no idea what the difference was, except for well, you guys, I guess, and I only they know didn't. about. They didn't. They had no idea. <laughs> I was being too generous. But so, best sound has reunited. It's just best sound now, encompassing all things sound. Do you approve of this change? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I think it's. Fun. I think you're right. It, most of the years, the the nominations overlapped anyway, and not only overlap, but often the same movie won both. So why not just cut it out? Cut out the middleman here and just do one one award again. Let's go to Best Director real quick and, you know, Holden, we say every year that this is the, these are the real nominees, right? Once they expand a Best Picture to be beyond five, we would say that if you want to see the real nominees and the ones with the best chance, most of the time you want to look at the five Best Director nominees and the ways they overlap with Best Picture. Do you think that's still true and do you think that's true this year? Yeah, I mean often, even when there was only five nominees, often the, it wasn't all five directors getting nominated but when you've got a field like this where it's eight or nine movies, I think the only one that's not matched up so far is is uh, Argo when Affleck somehow didn't get nominated, even though he won the DGA award, but he wasn't even nominated, and Argo did win Best Picture. That's shocking. Otherwise, yeah. yeah, otherwise the the director has at least been nominated for the for the movie that won. So yeah, I mean that's when you look at it that way. If you're looking at which is at least narrowing it down to five, it's probably going to be one of those five. And this time, we've only got four, so that match up. Well, we haven't talked about Mank yet, and maybe this is the best kind of backdoor way to talk about it, is Fincher for the nomination in Mank. And I, I loved Mank personally. I'm a sucker for these sort of, you know, fast talk, witty repartee, old Hollywood kind of self-effacing stuff. I'm just a sucker for that, and I adored Mank. But I, I noticed that, you know, that's not universal. I, I've noticed that there's definitely a split of opinion, on our side at least, and I tend to take that as pretty emblematic. What do you think about Mank, and what do you think about... Fincher's chances here of maybe upsetting uh, Chloe Zhao? I don't think Fincher has a chance. I like Bank a lot. I wouldn't mind if it won Best Film. I, it's not going to win. I wouldn't mind. I don't. I wouldn't mind if it won a lot of awards, including cinematography, which it's been blasted for not being uh, shot on film. It was beautiful art direction. I thought I was at San Simeon. Then I found out I wasn't. I mean, I thought I was. I, I've been there enough times to know I was whether I was a Sam Simeon or not. So they really did a good job with that. Well, I think if I remember right, Fincher's father uh, was a screenwriter and was trying to make this film for kind of like decades. And now he's basically completing the screenplay and directing the film that his father never got made. Is that right? Right. I mean, yeah. that's mm-hmm. incredible. Like the, the personal aspect of this. And obviously Fincher has done a lot of like thrillers, kind of high concept films in the past. That's one of the things I like is that he's such a skilled artistic director, kind of bringing that to what would have been like almost schlocky genre stuff. But this is a little different, um, again, with the old Hollywood style. And I think the personal aspect has a lot to do with that. As Mark mentioned, not shot on film, but trying very hard to seem like it has. And I'll say they kind of got the artifacts 
better than most. It really bugs me in films when they have, like, say, when they have to recreate VHS or recreate old cinema reels or something, and they can be very, very lazy about it, right? Like, it still looks too crisp. They just throw a couple artifacts on it and hope that does it. But I feel like Mank did a pretty darn good job of looking and sounding old in ways that didn't actually take away from the production quality. Yeah, I like Mank a lot. I mean, you know, for a film buff, it's it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a dream project. It's catnip, they have such a, a, a gifted director tackle that that kind of subject and and lovingly recreate it. It's great. Fincher is known and loved best, I'd say, by the public for his thrillers, and it's it's the not thrillers that the Academy uh, that his his fellow directors have nominated him for so far. He got nominated for Curious Case of Benjamin Button and The Social Network. And now Mank, uh, you know, and I think if you talk to the average fan on the street or certainly on our site, it, it would be, you know, Seven and Fight Club and, and those kinds of movies, which I, I don't know if they're just not guts enough to, to dominate one of those or, or they're, you know, they're just too genre for them. But, you know, if he... If he's going to win an award, it seems like it's going to be for one of these types of movies rather than, the, than his thrillers, which he's – I mean, I don't think there's anybody better at, at a thriller than, than he's been for since he hit the scene. So, I mean, it, it might be one of those things like John Ford you know, didn't win for his westerns, but he won for you know, High Green is My Valley and, and those kinds of movies, mm-hmm, yeah. even though he's known you – know, will be known forever synonymous with the western and – Fincher will forever be, even if he makes, you know, 20 more movies. Uh, I hope he makes 20 more movies. Uh, he'll probably always be linked to thrillers, probably always go back to them because they're such great. He's just so good at them. But if he gets an Academy Award, which I don't think he will this time, but if he does, it'll probably be for one of these dramas and, and kind of the odd ones out. Well, I mean, they've definitely shown the Academy has some willingness to kind of dip their toe into the whole uh, elevated genre thing. They do it with Tarantino all the time, right? And they kind of did it even a little bit this year with Promising Young Woman, which is sort of like a, a thriller that never really gets to the thrills or doesn't you know, often show you the thrills. I guess we could talk about that for a minute. I am not surprised to see Emerald Fennell nominated for director here because the directing is is very, very solid, very interesting and flashy and confident, and I really enjoyed it. I am a little surprised to see it nominated for Best Picture, though. I don't want to spoil it or anything, but it is pretty much a fake-out movie where uh, you're not supposed to really know what's going on, or at least you think you know what's going on the whole movie. So I thought it was really well done that way. I thought the acting was really well done. I am not surprised to see a Best Film nominee. It's pretty fresh in my mind. I saw it last night, and I let's just say I was more intrigued by the first half than the second. I felt like the setup was really good, and it could have gone a lot of places, but I'm not sure it ended up landing as much, but I might be unusual in that opinion. I like the way it's constructed a lot. I mean, I, I've seen it a couple times now, so I mean, you you're just saw it once really fresh. But for me, I mean, like, when I think back on it, the, the thing with the Dean is, like, one of the most powerful moments, much more than, I think if it just kind of followed the strand, you think that the setup is, you know, it could have been, it could have gone into hostile territory almost. It could have been, uh, I don't you know, that's going to be one of those kinds of movies. And I, while it might have been well done, I don't think, definitely when it got nominated for Best Picture, and I don't, I personally, it wouldn't have done much for me just to see a kind of revenge splatter pick. I mean, that doesn't really do anything for me. But the way it twists these things, I thought it was, I thought it was very effective. Yeah, and but definitely very well directed, uh, regardless. And we have a, uh, we have two female director nominees. Um, now, has this happened before, Holden? I know Catherine Bigelow has definitely been uh, nominated a couple of times. Yeah, now this is the first time we've had uh, two women nominated in the same year. Wow. 
Well, well, I don't think it'll be the last, especially if these two keep making movies. The other, the other director, Thomas Fitzgerald. But yeah, he's odd man now, but he is nominated for Best International Feature. Yeah. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, he could win that. So I would think any time, the, the few times, since, the handful of times this has happened, especially since they expanded. Yeah, if, if the picture that's either up for... Uh, Best, whatever they call it now, uh, best. What are they? International <laughs> feature. International feature. Best international feature either has a best picture nomination as well, or the director has a nomination. Obviously, that makes it the favorite to to win best international feature because it's already kind of been selected out as oh, it's different from these other four. This is the one we really like yeah, yeah, because yeah. It's the director is amazing. So obviously, I would think if it doesn't win international feature it'll be one of the biggest shocks of the night it'll be one of the biggest surprises one of the biggest upsets it's like one of those things where up gets nominated for best picture so you know it's going to win best animated film it's already right. transcended the other category so wittenberg and lars von trier started dogma 95 way back in the day and von trier became the famous one almost right out of the gate although it was wittenberg who made the first movie under that right. this kind of and, and so he's kind of been working in lars von trier's shadow in a lot of ways kind of working in on the margins as far as maybe mainstream attention. So it, it's great to finally see him kind of elevated again to his his friend uh, and cohort there. But yeah, I, I think he's got extremely low chance of winning, best, almost no chance of winning Best Director. But yeah, if, if it doesn't win Best International Feature, I mean, that you can pretty much take that one to the bank. General thoughts, Minari, chances of winning, qualities as a film, because we have the Best Picture nominee and we have Lee Isaac Chung for director, both. Yeah, and and Stephen Young for, for Best Actor. Yes. Uh, and he was the surprise to me. I'm not surprised Yu Jung-hoo. Uh, uh, I'm not surprised that the, the actress who plays the grandmother was nominated. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Kind of expected. But to see Stephen Young, who most people probably know from uh, Walking Dead, uh, he's very good in the movie, and it's very unlike his character in, in Walking Dead. So it's a nice, you know, showcase for him. But it's also not the kind of I was sh- I was a little shocked it was <laughs> that it was nominated for Best Actor because I I thought maybe Alan Kim had a chance. That, who plays the young boy, who's the, the analog of the director? It's kind of his personal story, either as Best Supporting Actor or even Best Actor, like from uh, Whale Rider when she was nominated for Best Actors. I thought it was that good a performance, and it's it's really the center of the movie, at least from my couple viewings of it. He, his relationship with his grandmother and just his his view of the world is much more what we get than the parents. Uh, it's much much more filtered through through his eyes, and so I was a little surprised. I mean, it's good for Stephen Yeun. I don't think he's a much of a chance, and he, he becomes the first Asian or Asian American to to be nominated for Best Actor. It's great, but I really thought Alan Kim, the little boy, was was really really good, and I was kind of surprised that he didn't make it. Yeah, and this category, Best Actor, I think would normally be a little more interesting. Gary Oldman. I mean, when I was watching Mank, I thought, oh my god, this is just Gary Oldman being tremendous like he's as good as ever in the in mank and riz ahmad and sound of metal obviously no chance there but what a breakout performance for him you know he has to basically carry the whole film and he does and as you already alluded to anthony hopkins in the father kind of doing that hey hey i'm not done yet late in his career performance that might end up being one of his best but uh, unfortunately in all senses chadwick boseman passed away and looks like to Looks like he's going to be an absolute shoe in here for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Do you think this is the kind of thing? I know this is a little morbid. We want to be very respectful here. Do you think this is the kind of performance that would win anyway? Or is it one of those things where, you know, it's partially going to be to honor his memory? 
I mean, for me personally, uh, he's good in it. Uh, I don't think it's probably the kind of performance that if he had potential of, of having a career like Denzel Washington and having, you know, 10 or 12 more great movies and roles, would this be the one? Maybe not for me. Probably wouldn't get my vote because Hopkins is so, so good. But yeah, I think in this year when, you know, that's, that's it. That's going to be the last time we see him. And that he was, you know, obviously fighting his illness as he's trying to make this last i think you can see him almost wasting away and now you know that yes he literally was wasting away i mean that's it just makes it all that much more powerful i I think he's got to win although i think it's a shame i mean it's a shame on so many levels but also a shame that hopkins is so just puts on an acting clinic that probably you know 20 years from now is going to be one of those performances and films that's dissected in film class and acting class but yeah I think I think Boseman's going to win yeah well not just wasting away but it's a particularly energetic performance too I mean which is all the more impressive under the circumstances and and look a very good performance it has to be said and that's kind of the thing right is it still had to be a very good performance to get him to this point and it is and, and that's going to be enough but you think if not for Boseman probably Hopkins I would vote for Hopkins just <laughs> <laughs> taking sentimentality out of it. I just think it's it, it really floored me. But yeah, I think it's got to be Bozeman. Ma Rainey is very good. Everything about it is very good. It's kind of on the short side. Just when I, uh, you know, it ends just about what I thought I was waiting for it to get really, really good. Yeah. And then it's over. So that bothered me a little. I like, I love Viola Davis. I love Shadwick Bozeman. But they just feel like they're missing something. They, they don't get to go all the way with their character. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's based on an August Wilson play, if I remember right. And you can tell yes. just from the staging that it's based on a play. I didn't know that going in, but I'm watching it and I go, oh, this is based on a play, isn't it? And I didn't, I'll just take the other side and say I didn't really care for it. I don't think it had time to breathe. And this is surprising because I really loved Fences. Anyway, I definitely agree with you that it ended a little soon. Back about Minari. Uh, it's another movie like Nomadland where it seems like nothing's happening, except there's things that could qualify as a little more uh, melodramatic. So Best Actress, from what I'm seeing, Viola Davis is actually the favorite here over Frances McDormand, which is not what I would have guessed. I mean, she gives a wonderful performance, it has to be said, but I don't know. I feel like they kind of can't go wrong here. This just looks like an unusually strong category. Again, it's, it's fresh in my mind, Promising Young Woman, but Carrie Mulligan, in particular, the confidence she exudes in this movie is jaw-dropping. Like, she's going to be a perennial nominee, it feels like. Yeah, and she'll probably win. You think Carrie Mulligan will win? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, I think that might be characterized as an upset right now, but maybe um, my numbers are a little out of date. Would she be your choice, too? Probably. Yeah, as far as calling the race, like calling the horse race, um, I mean, Viola Davis has won once. Frances McDormand has won twice. I think that probably hurts Frances McDormand's chances, even though she's very, it's as good as the other two performances she won for, and and different than both of those performances. Uh, but there's you know to put her that'll put her in a, a rare class to have three yeah. uh, three actors. Um, and Viola Davis, if she had never won before, I'd say I mean absolutely Viola, Viola Davis is going to win. That she's already won again, just like Frances McDormand. Like as likely as they are sometimes to to hit somebody again with it because they to kind of reinforce much that I like them. They also kind of like new blood and you know. Uh, I mean, Andrea Day would be the newest blood, uh, but she's – I don't think she's going to win for lead actress. Uh, I don't think it's just – I don't think that movie's as strong as the other movies, and it's – she's very good as Billie Holiday, but all, all kind of all of the Billie Holiday movies have been a little problematic so far, and yeah, I don't think she's going to win. Uh, Vanessa Kirby is definitely the least seen of those five. Uh, she's very strong, but I don't think she's got – 
any chance of winning. So it really does come down to Viola Davis, Francis McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. And I think as the one who hasn't won before and being such a kind of over-the-top movie, um, kind of very very vivacious movie the, the way that Promising Young Woman is, yeah, she, it might, she might have the edge, might give her a little bit of an edge. And to finally, she's only got one other nomination for an education. So to, to have her be the new winner rather than have Frances win for the third time or Viola for the second, uh, yeah, it might give her a little bit of an edge and in, in Frances and Viola might kind of almost cancel each other out as these two kind of titans who everyone knows are great giving another great performance whereas carrie mulligan who's done some very good work over the years to kind of have her coming out party yeah and this kind of ties into what mark said about ma rainey kind of being a little short and i I certainly agree with that viola davis just she's not on screen that much she's obviously an important part of the film but she doesn't dominate it she doesn't have as much time as chadwick or even some of the other guys in the band for that matter whereas carrie mulligan is that movie and has to do so much and it would be so easy for that film to feel silly with a different performance too whereas I feel like I feel like Carrie Mulligan a little less replaceable maybe than some of the other uh, people in this category uh, is that your favorite too by the way uh, horse race aside just was that the one you'd choose you know it's tough right I might, I might actually go with Frances McDormand I just I mean she's always good even in bad she's one of those actresses that even in you know movies that are beneath her she's usually great and she's really good in this uh, and talk about I mean a performance with with no vanity I mean Viola Davis really just said I you know I don't care I'm going all out for this performance I mean I, I'm sure it's something her other actors appreciated uh, even more than kind of the lay person just how much she really went for it but I could see Carrie Mulley, Mulligan winning and Francis and Viola kind of canceling each other out in a way. So I know we already talked about Best Supporting Actor a little bit, but I want to hit one more thing there, and that's One Night in Miami, which wasn't particularly honored in some of the larger categories, but this is one of them. The uh, When Leslie Odom Jr. was not first nominated, I saw the, the hot takes, the sort of, okay, this is weird, he's probably not the best performance in this film. This is sort of like a Stealth Hamilton honoree kind of thing, because they didn't want to nominate something that was so overtly a stage production rather than based on a stage production, and I thought, okay, yeah, that's just a cheap hot take. But after seeing the film... I might kind of agree, actually. I mean, he's really good, but he's not the best performance there. And and obviously, you know, the Hamilton thing is is complicated, at least, because do you want to honor something that's clearly just a film stage production rather than a stage production adapted? Uh, I'm not surprised Hamilton didn't get nominations. Uh, Part of it was just (laughs) the pandemic that made it just – and now all these people who – who don't live near a big city that couldn't have gone to see it and might have even fallen in love with the soundtrack but had never seen it, finally get to see it right on your TV. Um, yeah, I was surprised they didn't actually uh, wait and do an actual adapta- film adaptation. And, and like really, you know, it's a, that's always a tricky thing, even, even for beloved productions. Now it's not on a stage, it's in a real setting and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I w- I'm surprised they kind of went with the okay here's here's one of the performances we did rather than actually as as esteemed as <laughs> as beloved as that project is to not kind of take a shot at least at adapting it and just kind of like well i'm, I'm glad everyone got to see it that's great but I, I would have liked to see a filmmaker who had a way and not not the way chicago was done kind of which was pretty straightforward but i mean to have some an, an, an inventive a narrative idea as the play was what the play was to the theater have somebody who had a, a vision that could okay i've got an idea how we can make this just as visceral as a film and uh, rather than do that they just you know they, yeah. they released one of the performances right. which is fine. 
but it it's I don't think I'm not shocked it didn't get nominated for best picture. Like I mentioned earlier that Ma Rainey was obviously a stage adaptation, like Fences was obviously a stage adaptation, but that it's sort of like a fig leaf almost. Like we can all tell this is a play, but you still use the medium a little bit. Do you think that's basically the distinction here is Hamilton really was just filming a play and not making any attempt? Yeah, I think one of the body i can't remember which one one of the guilds or somebody nominated as a documentary which is probably closer <laughs> i mean it's it's closer i mean that's what it was I mean, you, put a, just, you put a few yeah. behind the scenes uh, behind the stage kind of stuff in there and suddenly you do have a documentary don't you i i, I hear what you're saying about turning it into like a, a proper film and everything i i'm not surprised that they didn't do that though and i feel like it's because when someone creates something like this as lin-manuel miranda did Usually, they're total theater geeks, and one of the reasons they're doing what they're doing is because they feel like the form is underappreciated, and they want to inspire another generation to go into it. So I feel like that's probably what he preferred here, right, is to make people like it as a stage production primarily. Let's talk about One Night in Miami a little bit, though. So you have four kind of performances here. They're all supporting each other. They're all supporting. But the, the, the prevailing opinion seems to be, and I have to agree with it, is that Kingsley Benadir as Malcolm X steals the show. Um, Odom's the only other person you could conceivably give it to, but I'm kind of stunned he wasn't nominated here. Uh, do you have a favorite performance or, or any feelings in general about what I believe is, what, is this Regina King's debut as a director or just one of her first efforts? I think it's her feature debut. I think she did a short or something, something for television, but yeah, it's her feature debut. The thing about uh, Leslie Odom Jr. getting it for Sam Cooke, I mean, he gets to sing all the Sam Cooke songs, and then he gets to sing the song at the end, which is nominated for Best Song. I I don't know. This is where you kind of want an ensemble yeah. uh, Academy Award uh, nomination, which right. you get. You've mentioned that in years past, and I think it's a better-looking idea every year. Don't the Golden Globes have something kind of like that? The SAG Awards do, which are actually, as we're speaking, are, are taking place tomorrow. Oh, so if we'd waited one more day to record this, our predictions would be even better, huh? Uh, the degree of difficulty is a little turned up. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking about One Night in Miami, and you're right, obviously, great ensemble, and I kind of think of it like the Avengers, to be honest with you, because you have these larger-than-life figures, and they all sort of get have to take their turn in the spotlight, right? They all have to have their moment. They all have to make their, their point, and, that, and that's particularly true because they're arguing. And that's the thing about this film that's very salient is that Sam Cooke and Malcolm X don't just disagree. They disagree in a way that has, that has echoes even today, right, about the African-American community, how they support each other. Should you be more inclusive? Do you work with people that you're fighting against? Do you try to befriend them? Do you try to fight them? Do you try to uh, segregate from them? And these were things that were fought about at the time uh, and that are fought about today. And, you know, when the film started getting into that, I was like, yeah, I don't know. This is this feels dicey. This feels difficult to get right. And I, I wasn't I wasn't nuts about it at first, but maybe two thirds of the way through. I was totally won over because it manages to handle the subject matter in really thoughtful ways. And it kind of does it by just letting every side take its best shot at the other side without really picking one. I, I liked it, too. Um, yeah, I thought it was a little surprise. I think it's one of those you you kind of had an idea of what it was going to be very – that it might be very much like a play and very stagey and very kind of artificial. And uh, it's, 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 it's really well done, and it's a good debut for Regina King. I'm not shocked that of the kind of 10 or 11 that – that were kind of hanging around as possibilities for the best picture that this is this is one of the ones that didn't quite make it but it's 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 an interesting film it's a good film and uh yeah it's a good debut for regina king and all four of them are very good in it it did do one thing that did make it seem very much like a stage production and this is my favorite thing to always spot is we're all in a room and we're talking for a while it's been about 10 minutes let's all go to another room or to a rooftop or to a hallway and continue arguing in a slightly different location to break up the set pieces it did do that 
that a little bit. Best Supporting Actress. This one's a little strange. Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy, just an absolutely pilloried film, but not so much a pilloried performance. Do you think she's a favorite here, Holden? I think she has to be, not for the performance so much, just because she's been nominated eight times, seven times before this, and has never won. So it's one of those, it happens <laughs> every handful of years it's just it's it's her turn and she's a great actress she's had an amazing career uh she should have won for one of these other performances uh very likely but to me it's a very one note performance and it's all about the makeup and you know, it's very over the top and it's not really what she's best at in my opinion for the kind of uh controlled characters i find much more interesting from her but uh, she should be an Oscar winner. I mean, it's it's crazy that she's one of the best actresses of her generation and hasn't won an Oscar. So I think it's just going to – it's hers to lose. Well, not just as a kind of career thing, as you alluded to, but but also just no obvious breakouts otherwise, I think is a good way to put it. Olivia Coleman already has an Oscar, and in addition to just being the most charming person in the world, having already had one certainly helps. Of course, like Amanda Seyfried, there's sort of, you can already get that vibe of, you're young, you'll be back, potentially, this is still a breakthrough for you, but this isn't your only chance. And then you sort of have the stunt nominee here from Borat. Look, I haven't seen Borat yet. I saw the first film. What am I missing here? Is this performance really that good, or is this just like a we ran out of people to honor kind of thing? Because this is totally perplexing. I think it's a legit performance. You could say the whole movie of the second Borat movie is a, is a stunt. But hey, the first movie was basically a stunt. Well, yeah, it was. But it also wasn't nominated <laughs> for anything. I would probably vote for Olivia Colman myself. I don't get hung up one way or the other with uh, who who deserves it who doesn't. We all know Glenn Close deserves, deserves an award somewhere along the line. Maybe more than once. She didn't get it. I was surprised even when she got nominated for this thing. Yeah, I think it's just the strength of her legend, basically. <laughs> they got it. You know, I mean, we haven't talked about it much uh, yet explicitly, but I mean, this was obviously a very strange year with a lot, lot, lot fewer movies released, which helps. I think two years ago, if you look at the crop of kind of quality, I don't think Glenn Close even for a career acknowledgement is going to sneak in in a, in a really strong year for this performance. But this is such a weird, strange year with so many fewer movies out there. I think it, it kind of rises to the top just because of who she is. Yeah. As far as the movie itself, Hillbilly Elegy, I didn't think it was bad as everybody said, but I didn't think it was good. Everything about it was just kind of, man, it was watchable. That was about it. I thought Borat was better. Me too. Yeah, and as far as uh, Maria Bakalova, yeah, I mean, she's, I mean, for, if you haven't seen it, I mean, yes, there are uh, outrageous, disgusting stunts, just like last time. Uh, the difference, I think, this time is, and this happened to, like, Letterman on his show, like on his original show, Letterman used to go do a lot of remote things, uh, used to kind of go out to McDonald's or, or restaurants, and, and because he wasn't a superstar yet he could go in and 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 do very goofy things kind of the way that the borat does in the first movie and by the by the dave's second show he had to have uh somebody else do it because he's david letterman he can't just walk into a restaurant anymore without everyone going oh my god it's david letterman and so i think he was faced with much the same thing for the second one no matter what disguise he, he gets especially the borat since the borat persona is so well known he the, he did try to you know have a 
a disguised persona, but even that, I think people are getting a little wise to, I think, just in general. So he needed somebody, someone who could do what he does, which is to go out and in character in these unsuspecting people most of the time and be able to improvise in character and kind of keep some kind of story art going, but really improvise in the character, which she didn't really, I mean, I I hadn't seen any of her movies from her, her native movies, but I mean, I don't think she had anything like this in her background. I have no idea. I've not heard an interview of how he chose her, what kind of the, what the process was, but I mean, she's very good at that of doing like he does. And when he's faced with a, a real person, he's got this outrageous persona sticking with it and then improvising it, which is amazing, which is an amazing skill in itself. And then on top of that, she actually has an arc, unlike Borat, where it's just the same character. She changes from a very, characterized thing at the beginning and and actually goes through an emotional development and not only does she improvise uh some very funny things with these unsuspecting people but also some very emotional tender things i mean it's it's, it's some really good impressive acting and then when it comes right down to it i think the actors branch was willing to say you know that giuliani stunt was incredible <laughs> yeah <laughs> That 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 you guys pulled that off, and that she at the center of that pulled that off, and I don't I don't think it influenced the the election in one way or the other. But to have that kind of resonance, where like wow, there was anything of Giuliani left to to, to knock down, yeah. that kind of helped knock him down. I think I think there's some of that in the nomination, but it's also I mean she's really good in the movie if you think it's not oscar worthy that's that's you know that's a whole other discussion but she does this she does what she's asked to do and more in that it's 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 an impressive job not i mean you're saying olivia coleman does have one and the one she won is upsetting glenn close a couple years ago <laughs> when, when olivia coleman was one of the i mean it doesn't happen very often it's once every you know 10 or 15 years that someone's a true surprise winner and everyone expected Glenn Close to get this career honor a couple of years ago for the wife, which also it's it's a different kind of performance, but it's not probably not one of her two or three best. It's better than Hillbilly Elegy, I think. But it was the, it seemed like it was set up for okay, Glenn Close is going to get that career achievement. She's been nominated seven times, never won. Uh, Olivia Coleman's great; she's amazing. She's in this weird movie. Uh, I don't know what the hell goes on in that movie, but she's not going to win. And then she won, and like Glenn Close's. If you go back and watch those clips of Glenn Close's face of like. Genuinely surprised. Oh my god, I lost again. Uh, I mean, good for her, but oh my god, I can't believe I lost again. So I think on top of everything else, I mean, Olivia Coleman's the only one of those five who's won before, and she beat Glenn Close out last time. So I think this time there's no chance. Olivia Coleman's excellent. She's not. She doesn't have to do as much as Hopkins does. I mean, Hopkins is right just on screen every second of that thing and amazing. But she gives a very good performance in a very fractured interesting way but as good as it is she's not going to be Glenn Close twice Turnabout is fair play the wife and then the father we haven't uh, talked about either screenplay category yet Manka didn't get a nomination yeah Manka's the only of the eight uh, best picture nominees that didn't get a screenplay nomination and, and given the story the story that I mentioned about the completion of the screenplay being kind of the most emotional affecting thing about it is that meta story about it for me and to not even get a screenplay nomination kind of undercuts that a little bit doesn't it I mean I think Sorkin will win but as far as Academy Awards are good feeling about that movie that much i really don't know sure got a lot of nominations should have gotten even more i think as far as uh, adapted i'm guessing they're gonna give it to nomadland it's almost like holden says it's almost not really a screenplay it was improvised with those with those non-actors that yeah it's it's i mean obviously there's a there's a book there and there's a structure and they were always working with something but yeah i mean a lot of what 
probably finished the finished product on screen was definitely not written down on those pages. And that's and the writing's not the strength of the film. It's mood, it's direction, it's it's verisimilitude, it's all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, this almost feels a little obligatory uh, if I'm being honest. Yeah. So uh, in seven out of the last ten years, the best pictures screenplay has won one or the two awards. So if you think Nomadland is the favorite. I mean, the odds are, even though it's not a kind of <laughs> typical screenplay, a standard screenplay, it might win just because I don't know if people kind of vote that way when they're filling out their ballot. If they're not, you know, screenwriters or not, those are those Academy voters might be less interested. It's like, well, I'm, I'm voting for, for the best picture, so I guess it has the best screenplay. That, that kind of <laughs> yeah, that love thinking uh, that might just get it some some votes that way. I mean, it's the funny thing is, I've always thought of it as there's a bit more of a push pull. I've always thought that if if something doesn't have a strong screenplay, but it's a good movie anyway, that's maybe more reason to give it to cinematography, director, actor, right? Because you got to figure the other parts of the film are maybe pulling a little more weight. But it sounds like you're suggesting, and we look for this every year, we look for indicator categories. If an upset's going to happen in Best Picture, what would it look like? What would that film fail to win elsewhere? So maybe fair to say if Adapted Screenplay doesn't go to Nomadland... That maybe opens up the possibility that we'll see an upset? All five of the ones in uh, original screenplay are up for Best Picture. So, I, I mean, that doesn't help me much in that category. But in that one, I mean, The Father's the only one, other one that's up for Best Picture. So, I mean, if I could see Borat winning, again, for kind of Sasha Baron's uh, continued delight in <laughs> upsetting things politically and culturally and just kind of like an attaboy if they don't give it to him for Best Supporting Actor, which he probably won't win, I could see them saying, you know what, you keep doing what you're doing. We don't really know how to honor it all the time, but we're watching and we really like it and it's crazy. And, and, and again, like Nomadland, I'm sure a lot of what is on the finished product was not in his outline or screenplay, however he and his, his co, co-writers worked it. And 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 think for all these all these except for best picture when you look at the screenplays and you look at the cinematography you, know, you see we're saying that cinematographers like well but it's not even on film remember it's the cinematographers who nominated the cinematography nominees it's the screenwriters who nominated Borat and Nomadland so we might think oh they were well they're so unorthodox and they're not really screenplay screenplays but it's the screenwriters who thought these yeah. were worth of a nomination so it's not like it was the actors saying well we like we like Sasha Baron Cohen so we're going to nominate it for best for best screenplay because they don't do that only the screenwriters nominate so while we might from the outside be thinking well these are unorthodox I don't know if that could win obviously the screenwriters thought they were worthy additions yeah that's so weird because 40% of the nominees as you pointed out are at least significantly improvised and it's right next to something like again One Night Miami which is very heavily written very tightly scripted uh, is all writing uh, in a way um, because again it resembles a stage play so much yeah I don't know I guess that's why we're not screenwriters or why the Oscars are hard to pick sometimes (laughs) (laughs) or why screenwriters are weird people I don't know one thing I just did want to talk about a little bit, though. I remember a few years ago we were having kind of general industry-wide discussions about whether or not the awards would accept streaming entries, um, and I think Roma was the first big test, right? It was something that definitely would get recognized if it were a normal release, but it was a Netflix film, and people wondered whether or not it would be honored uh, the same way, and it was. But it feels like, either because of the way the industry is moving, or the pandemic, or both, 
we have our question pretty well answered because something like half of the best picture nominees were were streaming. Yeah, and I think that I think this year it's, that's definitely pandemic related. There was no almost no choice pandemic related. How far back it's going to swing if and when we get back to some kind of, some kind of normal, I can't say. The industry seems to be thinking people won't go back to the movie theater the way they did, you know, two or three years ago even. And that's just the way it's been trending for decades now, especially the last, you know, 20 years. And how much is going to swing back when when the pandemic is done? I don't really know. I think they're going to have to keep some kind of simultaneous release going where people can, if they pay to or pay for the right service can watch it in their house instead of going to the movie theater. I don't think we're going to get rid of that again. I don't think that's going to completely go away. It just can't. People like it. Right. I mean, the pandemic might have done this, but the seal is broken now to the point where the industry probably has no choice both in a business sense and just in the award sense. They can't afford to ignore films of this caliber just because they're streaming. No. Especially for all the, I mean, all the great filmmakers, including you know, like Fincher and Scorsese, like the best filmmakers around, are now going to the Netflixes and, and people for, for to get finance. So, I mean, you, you truly can't ignore it anymore. Like, even if you wanted to, you can't. If you're a movie fan and you're not interested in seeing the new Martin Scorsese movie... What are you doing? You know, yeah. You, right? On Amazon, on Netflix, you're going to watch it on Amazon and Netflix. That's just the way it is. Yeah. I wasn't sure what I thought of that at first, where I thought, you know, Netflix is going to throw hundreds of millions of dollars at these things that studio executives did not think were a good bet, give Scorsese all the money he wants to make this film. It was obvious that they were doing it for prestige, to make a splash, for the PR, for all that stuff. And you know what? I guess they're the smart ones, because I think it. I think it's really done something. It's, it's, it's forced the industry to take them seriously, uh, kind of as you mentioned. But it sounds like for you, the magic of the theaters, that's just never going to go away. Yeah, well, I'm the kind of dork, I mean, this is how bad I am. I mean, I love the movie theater so much that when The Irishman was released, which is an incredible incredibly long movie that you went to built. see in theaters didn't you you crazy I mean, my god why wouldn't you see that in in your house if you can <laughs> i saw that in the movie theater with no intermission and no pee breaks i mean that's how much i wanted to see that on the big screen but i realize i am a very small minority as far as the movie going public and i mean the other part of it is it's not just that netflix threw a lot of money at him which is great i mean that's the way that's the way to get a great film like it's that warner brothers and paramount and all these people were not interested in giving Martin Scorsese $120 million to make The Irishman. They'd rather spend $200 million to make the next superhero movie, and that's just the reality of what it is. They're not making kind of big mainstream entertainments that cost that much money anymore unless it's a known property. I mean, look, no one's going to give Fincher – Paramount is not going to give Fincher all that money to make Mank in the theater. They just don't care. There's just there's no there's no there's no profit in it for them. Uh, I the wouldn't fact if it, I was my money. Works, and the fact that it might get some reward uh, awards down the line is not enough for them anymore. Like I don't care. How's it going to play in China? Okay, I, no one's going to watch it in China. Great. Well, I need to get the next superhero movie, the next action movie, whatever. And that's just the reality of where it is. And that's what the Oscars are always trying to fight against. And that's why they have no choice but to now embrace Netflix and Amazon and all the rest and say because that's where those types of movies are being made now i wish that paramount and warner brothers and the big studios would go back to giving someone like scorsese a hundred million dollars to do a movie that's not doesn't have explosions or superheroes in it but that's just not where we are you're telling me you don't believe in the mcu the manx cinematic universe you don't think that has legs <laughs> probably not as far as the mcu the manx uh, universe I, I even pick it for best cinematography 
I don't think it's probably not going to win. I don't know, but I I would I pick it for best cinematography. A different category I would pick, which is seems too obvious to even mention, but animated film, Soul, Mauritian wind costume. But they're just predict they're totally predictable. So I mean, you would know you're near the top of the leaderboards every year. So if Mark says they're predictable, they probably are to Mark at least. Yeah, maybe I better just keep my predictability to myself. Oh yeah, no no, <laughs> you don't want to give away the the secret sauce. I'm I'm such a movie nut. But I have not been to a movie, you know, since, I mean, the last thing I saw was uh, The Invisible Man uh, back, you know, last March. So, I mean, even though a couple of movie theaters around me have opened and as much as I love movies, I haven't gone yet. So, I mean, I, I know why the industry's in trouble. It's no secret. Um, but I look forward to as you know, going back again. I mean, I, and I love doing things like, I mean, I'm lucky that I live, you know, near a couple of big cities and like, and just outside Washington, DC, the American film Institute has a beautiful theater complex and, uh, and they show, you know, revivals constantly, which is great. Cause my, even, uh, which might surprise some people, but the, the woman I married is not a movie buff. <laughs> she tolerates it, but she, I, it's been a lot of fun, uh, showing her, you know, these classic movies that she, she's heard of or some she hasn't heard of that she's never seen. And my favorite way to do it is by far to take her to the theaters when, you know, Casablanca or it's a wonderful life comes to, to the theater. I love taking her. That's, that's, I mean, that's such a thrill to me much more than, watching it at home um but i i can't wait to get back to that experience but i i know i'm in the minority in that i i'm I, i'm very aware that things are changing <laughs> and that 20 years from now they're going to have changed so much that this is going to seem you know the 1990s are going to seem like the 1930s seem to us right now <laughs> it's just going to change that drastically but uh i still love it and i'll still go back yeah we have films in color uh, we have talkies, and maybe now we have streamies. And this is all going to seem very quaint in a couple decades, if not sooner. Oh, yes, it will. I go to the movie, and I go downtown. Somebody keep telling me, don't hang around. It's been a But I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Wild them in the end. You got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wild them in the end. And you've got a hit. <laughs> 